In these morning sessions, we're dealing with the theme of the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I am dealing with the definition. What is the kingdom of God? That's, that's my task for us this morning. And I'm going to cover so much material this morning that I even made a PowerPoint. I don't do that. I don't normally do that. I like to move and work through the Word of God uh, by turning and going to different passages, but I'm, I'm, we're having to move through so much material this morning that I even made you a PowerPoint. You're welcome. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We know this verse. We know it well. What does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. We really should pause at this statement and let the weight of these words sink into our hearts. When you think of everything that came before Jesus uttering these words, all of the effort that God goes through to come from heaven to earth to preach a sermon about how to live life in the world that he made, and smack dab right here in the middle of the sermon that he preaches, he tells us how to live life. He tells us this is the most important thing to be doing. To seek first the kingdom of God. He, he boils everything down to this one phrase. Seek first. Now he could have said a whole host of other things after that phrase. Seek first this, seek first that. Very good things, very important things, very necessary things. But Jesus says that the most important thing for us as followers of Christ, humanity, the new humanity that he is making, is to seek first his kingdom. Now just a few verses earlier, he had taught us that when we pray, we should pray along those lines, right? When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom of God would come, that the will of God would be done on earth. That is what we are seeking after. That is what we are praying for. And so in light of this bold emphasis that Jesus and the apostles put on the kingdom of God... I strongly believe that we in the church do not think enough about it. We do not meditate about it. We do not talk about it. We don't engage with one another in dialogue and even debate and conversation about it. Because if I'm supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and can we agree that that's what I'm supposed to do? If we're supposed to do that, what that means is that the kingdom of God, it requires that Christ's kingdom be my foremost thought all the time, in every activity, in every conversation, that Christ in his kingdom is the preoccupying thought, not just an afterthought, the antithesis of an afterthought. Yet for many, if not most, Christ's kingdom is just that, an afterthought, an afterthought. So the next two mornings, we're going to focus in on Christ's kingdom to think on, to meditate, to discuss even amongst uh, one another and, and possibly even to debate some of the ideas that we're sharing here 
None of what we're saying is meant to be the final word on these issues, but to stir our hearts and to create a dialogue around the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God. All of it aimed at a greater, to have greater clarity so that we might obey the Lord more fully. Amen. And so I've been tasked with, the, with providing a definition for the kingdom of God. I'm going to attempt to answer three questions. First, what is the kingdom? Secondly, when is the kingdom? And thirdly, where is the kingdom? What is it? When is it? And where is it? So we'll start with what is it, the definition. Now, last year I introduced you to a Greek word. Uh, how many of you remember what the Greek word was last year? Ecclesia, good. God bless you. You win the grand prize. That's right. The gathering. How important the, the gathering, the church is. This morning, we're, I'm going to teach you the Greek word for uh, the kingdom, the Greek word for kingdom. And here it is. You all can read that, I know. It's the word basileia. Basileia. Right now, I'm, I'm at a pace of I'm learning one Greek word per year. So... I'll learn, I'm learning the Greek language one word per year at a time. Basileia, what does it mean? What does this word for kingdom mean? It simply means rule, reign, or realm. Rule, reign, or realm. And it's used in the New Testament 150 times. Interestingly, the word for church, ecclesia, is used about 75 times, about half the time. So the, the rule and the reign, the, the basileia of God, therefore the definition, what is it? It is the rule and the reign of God. It's not hard to say what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God, the basileia of God. That's what it is. Now, secondly, I want to deal with when it is. When is it? And I'm going to contend and argue that the kingdom of God is now. Now. We live in God's kingdom now. That God's kingdom has been, past tense, established. And that Christ established the kingdom of God when he was here on earth. Therefore, commissioning his disciples and followers to go and extend his kingdom, his rule, and his reign. The kingdom has been established. When is it? It is now. Why would Jesus tell us to seek for something that we could not find? If the kingdom of God is not now, why would he tell us to seek it first? If the kingdom is not now, why would he tell us to pray for it on earth? The kingdom is now. The New Testament opens with the declaration by, the, by John the Baptist whom Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived. It opens with the declaration of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus begins his ministry with the exact same words. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I have to ask you, does at hand mean that the kingdom of God is going to be established some thousands upon thousands of years in the future? No, it means right now. The kingdom of God is here, John the Baptist is saying. The kingdom of God is right now breaking into the world, Jesus is saying. 
Let's turn to scripture. We're going to move through these quickly. I just want to make a case for you that the kingdom of God has been established. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Jesus says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, unless they're walking around here somewhere, then the kingdom of God was established in the first century. Let's keep moving. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus cast out demons. They say he does it by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has, past tense, has come upon you. Now, now to, to, to say the kingdom of God is not here would to be to side with the Pharisees who said that Jesus cast out demons by the spirit of Beelzebub. None of us here would admit to that. None of us here would say that. So then Jesus says the only other conclusion is that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, verse 5, it says, the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, to you I will give all of this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered unto me, and I will give it to whomever I will. If you then will worship me, and all of it will be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus here doesn't take issue with the statement that the Satan makes about him having rule and authority. Jesus takes issue with how he is going to go about taking it back. I, I, I am going to take back your dominion, but I'm not going to do it by worshiping you. I'm going to do it by obeying my Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus takes issue with. He doesn't take issue and say, Satan, no, you don't have dominion and authority. He, he takes issue with the fact that Jesus could receive that dominion and authority by submitting to Satan. So where did Satan get this dominion and authority to rule the nations? Who, who delivered it to him? He says, it was delivered unto me. Jesus doesn't take issue with that statement. So we can assume that that is a true statement. Who delivered the kingdoms of the world over to Satan? Well, of course, Adam did in the fall. Adam had been given dominion over the whole creation to go into, to, to, to the world, to, to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion, to cultivate the earth into the image of God. That was Adam's mandate. But when Adam fell, he handed his dominion over to Satan. Satan says, I'll give it to whoever I want. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus says, I am only worshiping God. But then look at what Jesus says right before he goes to the cross. This is John chapter 12. The, the next four chapters are the night of the Last Supper. And then Jesus immediately goes to the cross. This is right on the, the, the cusp of Jesus going to the cross. In John chapter 12, he says this, now. Everybody say that, now. Yeah. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus heading to the cross says, this will be the definitive and final blow against the kingdom of darkness in this world. 
Now I am going, now I am taking back the dominion that was handed over by the first Adam, that the last Adam took it back. Now, Jesus says, the ruler of this world has been cast out. Paul says, Colossians 2.15, that Christ disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That through the, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, something really has changed. Something really was accomplished. Jesus really did defeat Satan and dethrone Satan. John, in his introduction to Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I felt, speaking of Jesus, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first. And the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Christ took back dominion. Christ took it back and established his kingdom. He really accomplished something. So to recap here quickly, the kingdom, what is it? It is the rule and the reign of Christ. When is it? It is now. It was established in the first century and it continues to this day, the rule and the reign of God on the earth. And this leads us to the third question and this is really where the rubber meets the road. Where is the kingdom? So God rules and God reigns. Great, we got it. Over what? Over what exactly does he rule and reign? This is the key issue right here. Over what does God reign? Our whole understanding of the kingdom of God hinges on this third point. To define the kingdom of God in any meaningful way, you immediately have to include in the definition the extent of his reign. Over what does he reign? This is such a foundational issue because whatever we believe about this and whatever conclusion we come to about the extent of his reign, it cascades into every single area of the rest of the life of the believer because it cascades into what we are seeking for. Right? We're to seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, great, but, but what does he reign over? What am I seeking for? What am I praying for that would manifest in earth as it is in heaven? What exactly are we seeking? What exactly are we praying for? Therefore, however we answer this question, it will radically impact not only our ministries, but every area of our Christian life. So that a shrunken view of the kingdom of God will produce a significant deficiency in the life of a believer. Have you ever heard this statement said? Maybe you've even said it yourself. Jesus is not just to be your savior, he's to be your... What this tells me is that there's apparently a whole group of Christians who have such a woefully ins insufficient and malformed view of the kingdom of God that they don't even believe the reign of Christ extends even to their life personally. 
that they have to be told. I don't even understand how someone could come to faith and saving faith without understanding that Christ is Lord. It means we're pre preaching a deficient gospel. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. That's not the gospel that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. They preached Jesus as Lord. But apparently there's this, this whole group of Christians that have such a small view of the kingdom that they have to be told that Christ rules over their little hearts. Is, is that the extent of Christ's reign? That he would simply reign spiritually over the hearts of his redeemed people? I heard it said this week, I was in a meeting with a group of, of believers and we were talking over some of these issues. And, and, and the, the statement came up. Christ reigns over the church. Christ reigns over the church, but he does not reign over the unbeliever. The kingdom of God is in the church, but it goes no further. The kingdom of God resides within the church. That was the statement that was made. That God reigns over the hearts of the believer, but his rule and reign goes no further. Well, to that, I want to turn to some more scripture. Flip to me. We're going to go to a very obscure passage. I don't know if any of you have ever heard it before. It's at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28. I want to look at what Jesus said about this. You all know it by heart. This is a missions conference. <laughs> Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, some authority has been given to me. <laughs> so go and, go and try and win a few people. Go, go and try and tell them how much better their life will be if they serve me. Go and tell them I love them and have a wonderful plan for their life. No, 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 no. Not some authority, not most authority, not 99% of the authority. Jesus says all authority. And you are all preachers, so you know this line very well. All means all. All authority in heaven. And this is where my friend would have said amen. He reigns in heaven over the hearts of the redeemed, but... Unfortunately for my friend, Jesus didn't stop here. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's the issue. All authority in heaven and on earth will be given to me someday in the thousand-year reign. Uh, no, no. All authority in heaven and on earth has been. Past tense. If it was past tense in the first century, it's past tense in the 21st century. Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth now, has been given unto me. He took the dominion from Satan over everything. The whole earth, Jesus owns it all. Jesus reigns over it all. And this is the understanding that he commissions his disciples with go therefore go therefore and make disciples go because of this because I have all authority in heaven and on earth go and disciple the nations not disciple a few people not disciple a handful of believers there disciple 
all nations. I can imagine the, you know, 12 minus 1 disciples looking around saying, what in the world is he talking about? Disciple the nations? We're just a bunch of fishermen. This is the commission that he gives. But the amazing thing is they believed it. And they did it. So that when you read further into the book of Acts, what do they say? These men, in one generation, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Go and disciple, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we need nothing more than this to, to establish everything I've been saying, that the kingdom is the rule and the reign of Christ, that it is now established in the first century, continuing until now, and where is it? Where is the extent of it? To the whole known universe. God reigns. Christ's kingdom has no boundaries We have the words of Jesus. But there is much more. We could, we could go to hundreds of passages that tell us this. I would encourage you to read through the book of Psalms and, and just look at how often the all-encompassing reign of God is mentioned. Look, look at Psalm 2 and look at it again. Psalm 2 is not a promise to the believer. Psalm 2 is a promise from the Father to the Son. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. That's for a promise from the Father to the Son. He owns the nations. The Psalm, Psalm 92, the Lord reigns. The, 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 the Psalms are permeated with this language telling us that when we worship and when we sing, we should be reflecting on these great truths about the rule and the reign of Christ over all creation. That our songs that we sing should likewise, as the psalmist declares, be saturated with the language of the rule and reign of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 quickly. Ephesians 1. The problem with Ephesians 1 is it's one run-on sentence. You, you can't start anywhere. But, but we're just going to start in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, immeasurable greatness, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above. Say that, far above. Far above. All rule. No, 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 don't keep doing that. We'll never finish. <laughs> all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. 
Paul here just echoes what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth over every name that is named, over every dominion, over every power, over every president, every senator, every Supreme Court justice, every king, every ruler, every queen, every name that is named, the name of Jesus is higher. Jesus says, I rule. Look at John chapter 1 verse 5. I don't know how many times, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation. Revelation chapter one, verse five. I don't know how many times I've read the book of Revelation before this leaped off the page and slapped me in the face. John says that Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. John is describing in chapter one, a present reality. Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, now he rules the nations, now. Christ claims total power and total authority. And we really have to come to terms with these passages. We really have to wrestle with the fact that the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God is not only a present reality, but it is an all-encompassing reality. Christ has left us with no other alternate, in, in my view, other possible interpretation. He said that we were to disciple the nations, teaching them. What? Their ABCs and their one, two, threes? No. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Jesus here is speaking as one who believes he has authority, commissioning his disciples. So therefore, I believe and contend that the kingdom of God extends beyond the walls of the institutional church. The word of God gives instruction to people and to families and institutions outside the four walls of the institutional church. Because his reign is total, and the king rights of Jesus extend to every particle of the universe, he has the right to give instruction to everyone and everything. But the manifestation of the kingdom of God. So his rule and reign is total, but his kingdom manifests where people willfully submit to the reign of Christ in faith and obedience to his word there the kingdom of God manifests. So his rule and reign is total. He claims ownership rights of everything and everyone, from the poorest of the poor to the richest person alive on the planet, from the person who has no significance and authority by natural standards to the kings of the earth. Jesus says, I own it all. I own all dominion, all authority, and all power but his kingdom manifests, the, the manifestation of his kingdom is only where people willfully submit to the reign of Christ in faith and obedience to his word. That's why Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. But this is what we are seeking for when we seek first the kingdom of God that we would see the reign of God manifest on the earth, that we would see individuals and families and nations submit themselves to the reign and the rule of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. This, when we pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done, 
we're praying that the families of the earth, the communities of the earth, the nations of the earth would willfully submit to the rule and the reign of Christ. That is what we are believing for and that is what we are praying for. In individuals, in families, in nations, the word of God speaks to how a family should be ordered, how a family should be structured, how a family should run. And a family who will submit themselves to the word of God in your family, you will see the kingdom of God manifest. And you will see the blessings of God that come with the manifestation of the kingdom. And you can even see multi-generational legacy for the kingdom of God. This can happen in families. Obviously, this can happen in individuals. But this can even happen in nations. The word of God teaches the nations, the rulers of the nations, how they are to govern themselves. A nation that will punish evil and reward good will, will manifest the kingdom of God in their nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So the word of the king has a lot to say about things outside the ecclesiastical walls and authority of the church. From civil magistrates to husbands to wives to fathers to mothers to business owners, educators, educators, physicians, scientists, all should submit to the rule and the reign of Christ, not only in their little personal heart, in their personal life, just me and Jesus on my knees in my bedroom, but when they go out into the world to manifest the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God in every area and every sphere of life. And the goal of missions, therefore, is to bring the nations into faithful submission to the lordship of Christ. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And where people will willfully submit to the reign of Christ in faith and obedience to his word, there the kingdom of God manifests. But Jesus has already purchased for himself the rights to every nation. He owns them. We go and declare, this is your king. Serve him. That's what Paul did in Acts chapter 17. He said, look, in times past, those were times of ignorance. And there were some things that God overlooked. But now, but now God calls all men to repentance by a man that he has appointed and raised him from the dead and seated him on high. And his name is Jesus Christ. Listen, something fundamentally changed on the cross and the resurrection and ascension. Fundamentally changed so that now all men are required and called to submit to the lordship of Christ. And when we go, we go as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, taking the rule and the reign of God and calling people into faithful submission to Christ and his word. It's much more than Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is a weak gospel, and it produces weak fruit. It is so watered down that its potency is irrelevant. But if we will, like the apostles, preach the same message that they preached, filled with the same spirit that they are filled with, I believe in our day we can likewise see the same results that they saw. And so as we move forward this morning, I've invited some guests to come and to, to talk about the reign of God, the reign of Christ in this area, in that area? How, how does the kingdom of God manifest in a family? And, and how does it work through a church? And what does it look like interacting with the state and, and the culture? And in all of these areas, 
If we unleash the kingdom of God, we will see the rule and the reign of God on the earth. Amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I did it. None of you can even think at this point, but I did it. Father, we thank you for your word. It is so much a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is so abundantly clarifying for us. Lord, as we reflect on the kingdom in these next few moments and days, Lord, that you would produce, Lord, good fruit in our hearts and that there would be a manifestation of the kingdom in every area that we are in, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Lord, that we would see nations submit to the Lordship of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.